Welcome to River's Edge Church Podcast. Each week we strive to bring you biblically accurate, exegetical preaching of God's Word so that you might belong, believe, and become like Christ. We hope that you will find this week's message beneficial in your walk with Christ. I want to start by setting the context for us this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip to Ephesians. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians this morning. And it's important anytime we study God's word together that we understand the context of what's going on, right? We need to understand who wrote the letter or the book and who he is writing to, okay? Those are two very important things that help us to gain the proper context for how we should take it and then apply it, right? So Paul, a man who needs very little introduction, wrote this letter while in prison. He was imprisoned in Rome, and, and likely he was on trial for proclaiming the gospel. That's what he did. See, God tasked him with a very important responsibility to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And for those of you who don't know, the Gentiles are anyone who is not a Jew. So that would include everyone in this room. We have Paul to thank for the hearing of the gospel. And so Paul was writing this letter, and he addressed it to the church at Ephesus, okay? So to give you a little background on Paul, Paul spent several years going through missionary journeys through different parts of Asia Minor and all over that area, and his main goal was to plant churches. Paul was a church planter. Paul got it. He understood the Great Commission. He understood the words of Jesus when he said, go and make disciples. And so Paul very willingly and very intentionally went to these different areas to plant churches. Now, it's important to understand that this letter was written to the church, okay? Whether it be the one specifically at Ephesus or the big church at the time, It was written for the church, so it would be improper of us to start this morning without first understanding who we are apart from God. Because if if you are not in a proper relationship with Jesus, if you've never surrendered your life to the lordship of Jesus, then you will not understand a word that comes out of my mouth this morning. So what does that lead us to? to do this morning. It helps us to understand who we are, right? Apart from God, we are broken people. I mean, we just sang a song that that really magnified who God is because it's the same God that he was back then. God is perfect. And because God is perfect, he cannot fellowship with sin. And ever since the fall of man, we have that problem of sin within us. And there's nothing that you and I can do to escape it. There's nothing that we can do to outrun it. There's not enough good that we can do to outbalance it. There's nothing you and I can do to wipe ourselves clean. But God. 
He loved you and he loved me so much that he sent Jesus, the only one who could do that for us. Who wiped the slate completely clean so that you and I can have fellowship with him. And so I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that this morning so that as we understand, as we dive into God's word together, we can understand the mysteries that Paul declares in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. See, he spends three chapters specifically outlining the doctrines of our faith. He spent time dissecting and helping us to understand the, the mysteries of God. So that in chapters 4 on, we could then take that truth and apply it to our lives. It's the practice of our doctrine that we, that we understand in the back half of this book. Now, we're going to be looking specifically at chapter 6 this morning, so you can go ahead and put your finger there. But again, I, I'm asking you this morning to examine yourself before we go any further. I want you to examine yourself because I want you to understand the mysteries of God. I want you to understand the depths at which He went to love you. See, we talk about God and heaven is this magnificent place, which it is. But we can only understand it through the lens of our own limited capacity of mind. It's so much grander than we can comprehend. And Jesus left that for you and for me. Jesus suffered for you and for me. He bled for you and for me. He died for you and for me. And he rose again for you and for me. And this is good news, church. This is good news because if we are in Christ, this should bring us more joy than we can contain. This should give us confidence as we step out into our world today, which is wicked and perverse and broken, right? It should give us confidence to be able to take our faith and then endure those things. Because our joy is built on something so much more than happiness and feelings. But if that's not you this morning, see, you don't need to wait on me to give some grand invitation and ask you to come down front and shake my hand and pray a prayer. You don't need that to encounter Jesus. Your eyes need to be opened. And you need to surrender your life to him. And again, you don't need me to do that. But certainly I would love to talk to you if you have more questions about it. See, in order to properly understand what we're going we're gonna to be diving into, we have to have that foundation. Because as believers, we're in a fight. We're in a fight. And this fight's not easy. And this fight is against an opponent that we are highly undermatched for in our own self. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to start in verse 10 this morning. If you're ready for the word this morning, would you say amen? amen. amen. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that so you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of the darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith which, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Church, we're in a fight this morning. And contrary to what culture will tell you, contrary to what people will make you believe, the fight is not with who we think it is. There's three things I want us to understand this morning from this passage. So if you're taking notes, these are the three things I want you to write down. The first is that in any fight, you've got to know your opponent. In any fight, you've got to know your opponent. The second thing is that in any fight, you must prepare for the fight. You must prepare for battle. And last, in any fight, you must fight with all you got. So let's break these down this morning. First, I want us to understand this fight that we're in. Okay? So look with me at verse 12 again. It says, for our struggle, for our struggle. That word struggle literally means a hand-to-hand combat. Hand-to-hand combat. Uh, think back to the, the ancient times. What was the greatest game of the Olympics of that time? It was wrestling, believe it or not, wrestling. And that was the idea that Paul was helping them to understand here, is that this struggle is not just a mental battle. It is going to be a physical battle. It is going to take everything that you've got. It is going to zap the life force out of you at at times. It is a struggle, but not in the way that you and I seem to think struggles go. Just by, so my background is in student ministry, guys, so you're going to have to engage with me a little bit this morning. So raise your hand if you've ever endured something that was really difficult. Okay, so we all understand what it means to go through something difficult. Raise your hand if you had to struggle through that thing alone. Now, raise your hand if you had to struggle alone with both hands tied behind your back. See, the, the problem that we all face is that we often think that we can do this fight that we're talking about. When in reality, we're fighting with both hands tied behind our back. See, this struggle is not just a, man, this is hard. I'm having a hard week. Or, man, I'm just down today. That's not struggle. It's hard. It's difficult. Don't hear me wrong, right? 
I'm not trying to minimalize people's feelings and emotions, but what I'm trying to help us to understand is the proper context for what Paul is talking about here. See, we, we deal with things that are hard, but we struggle when we're in a fight. And that's what Paul is helping us to understand. So who exactly are we fighting against? Who exactly are we fighting against? Many people, specifically in culture today, will say that, well, we're fighting against liberalism. We're fighting against liberalism. Or we're fighting against left-wing agendas, or we're fighting against human ideology, or we're fighting against fill-in-the-blank, right? But nobody, at least that I have encountered, has said, yeah, we're just fighting against Satan. And that's who our fight is with. So in order to understand that concept, we, in order to understand as we go into battle, we have to know who our opponent is. And I want us to spend just a little bit of time on this because I do not want to give Satan more credit than he's due, which is nothing. But I do want us to understand who it is that we're up against. Look with me at verse 11. Paul instructs to put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, the devil has, has been known in, in lots of different ways in Scripture. He first appeared in Genesis as a serpent to deceive Adam and Eve. He showed up all throughout the Old Testament in different ways through deception of gods and idol worship. He showed up in people such as Pharaoh. He showed up in all of these different ways. And the key here is to understand the schemes in which he works. Right, So, again, I don't want to give him any credit, but let's face it, he's good at what he does. He's really good at what he does. He manipulates. He deceives. He hides in the shadows. There's a reason he's called the prince of darkness, right? Because he moves in the darkness. He wants us to be in the darkness. He wants our sin to be in the darkness. And he uses those schemes to deceive our minds and our hearts and our attitudes. When we try to understand just how good he is, Paul gives us an outline and really helps us to see just how structured Satan really is. Look at verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Paul, I think, outlines this for us so that we can see just how structured Satan's army is. That he's moving in different facets of, of even the heavenly realms, right? He's moving in different facets of our, our own lives. But he does all this with deception, He even goes on to explain this, and, and I think Jesus does it best when, and Luke records this in Luke chapter 8, when he talks about the parable of the seeds, right? And he's talking about sowing these seeds and how they'll fall on different places 
Well, the first one that he mentions is, are the seeds that get stomped on and trampled out. Those are the, the schemes that Satan uses to even deflect people from hearing the gospel. Because he knows the power at which God speaks and moves. And when his word is declared, it does not come back void. So Satan tries to stomp that out before it even gets started. Satan will extinguish every good thing in your life so that you think that God turned his back on you. Satan will divert people from your life and make it seem like people have turned their back on you. Because the place that Satan wants you is alone and defeated. Because if he can get you alone and he can get you defeated, then all the hard work's done for him. See, again, this isn't just something that we talk about for lost people. See, lost people are not the enemy here. Lost people, in fact, act like lost people because they're, well, lost. They don't understand. They're not in a fight because they have no fight to be had. It's us, it's believers in Christ that have to endure this. It's believers in Christ that understand just how hard it is sometimes. It's believers in Christ that sometimes feel the most alone. And I can say that because I've been there. I've been on my bedside begging for relief. I've been at a place of complete darkness where I could not even see which way was up. And let me tell you something, church. It's really, really hard in those moments to even get up out of the bed. But what I hope to do this morning is I hope to give you guys some tools. I hope to give you some tools that you can put on so that you're able to stand firm, so that you're able to stand against, so that you can endure these things that we're talking about, so that you can go to battle properly. See, it's not just enough to step into battle and know your opponent, right? David knew all about Goliath, but if David didn't prepare himself for battle, he would not know how to go forward. So let's look at the tools that God has laid out for us He's given us a complete arsenal here to put on and to arm ourselves with so that we can press on. Look with me at verse 13. This is just the first time, or this is the, actually the second time that we're told this, to take up the full armor of God so we, we will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Verse 14 continues, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Okay, girded your loins with truth. Let's break these down this morning as we understand just what we need to do to prepare for battle. See, keep in mind the context with which Paul is writing this. His context, the only thing he would have known, and probably the thing that he knew probably better than anything else, was the Roman soldier, right? Right? Paul spent most of his time 
under lock and key with a Roman guard. He knew what they looked like. He knew what they, they acted like. He knew how they prepared for battle. And so Paul used this as an illustration for us to understand what we have. So girding our loins with truth. The Roman guard, the Roman soldier would have had this long tunic. That was just the natural garments that they would have, have worn in that day. But to prepare themselves for battle, they would take their robe and tie it around and tuck it under the belt that they were wearing so that they had more range of motion, right? I don't know of any of you who've ever tried to run in a bathrobe or a towel wrapped around your waist. That is an incredibly difficult thing to do. So in order to be prepared, they would lift up their robe and tie it around their waist, locked with a belt. It was a sign for them that they were prepared to go, okay? Uh, so before they put on any other armor, they would gird their, their loins with this robe that they were wearing. And so for you and for me, we're told to gird ourselves with truth. So not only were we to be ready, but we're also to stand in truth. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 says this, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now it's important here to understand that we must know the truth. We don't have to look very far, people. It's right here. Now, sometimes it can be hard to understand. But we have to commit ourselves to knowing truth. If we don't know truth, what happens? We'll just turn on the television. You'll find out what happens when you don't know truth. When you don't know truth, you believe the schemes and the lies that Satan throws at you. When you don't know the truth, you are tempted to fall into traps that Satan just lays right out for you. When you don't know the truth, you can't be freed by the truth. So we must know the truth. And we must put on that truth every day. It's the readiness with which we go into battle. It's the first thing that we are able to lock ourselves into is the truth. What's the second thing he tells us? After we've girded our loins with truth and we have put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate was made of several different types of materials, often metal, that was actually shaped to fit the soldier's body. Uh, it was specifically designed for them. Okay? And this breastplate was to cover the heart and the internal organs. Now, if you look back at, at ancient Jewish tradition, they actually believed that the heart was the gateway to the mind and that their bowels, their intestines, was the gateway to their feelings and their emotions. So to them, it was very, very important to guard their heart and to guard their organs. Now, let's take that same context again and let's apply it to us now where are we at our weakest oftentimes? In our mind and in our emotions. Now, why are we weak in our mind and our emotions? 
Well, we're weak in our mind and our emotions because we are broken people. Yes, we're broken people that have been saved by grace through faith, but we're still broken, right? Am I mistaken? Is there any perfect people in the audience this morning? I didn't think so. So because we're not perfect people, our emotions are going to be easily manipulated. Our mind is going to be easily manipulated. And so we have to be on guard, and we have to protect that. Now, Paul tells us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's important to understand he's, he's talking about putting it on, so it can't be the righteousness that Christ gave us when we were saved. It's not the imputed righteousness because we're told to put it on. We already have that righteousness. It's already within us. So what kind of righteousness is he talking about? Is he talking about self-righteousness? Well, certainly not, because that is one of the the greatest sins that you and I can battle with is self-righteousness, where we think we've got it all together and we're perfect. So what kind of righteousness is he talking about? He's talking about practical righteousness. He's talking about walking the walk here. It's the same idea that Timothy and Titus got when Paul was talking about the qualifications for elders, about being above reproach. It's this idea that we're on guard so heavily that nothing out there has a word against us. We want to actually live as Christ followers instead of living like the world. (laughs) But sadly, too many times we see today that the world and the Christian look too similar. It's because the Christians are acting like the world and not acting like Christians. I'm just as guilty, church. I'm just as guilty. I have to put this on every day too. So don't don't hear me and and, and think that I'm I'm preaching at you, okay? Remember, I spent six months battling with this before I ever preached it for the first time. I have to also gird my loins with truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness every day. After we've done that, we've got to shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I think, personally, that the sandal is the, the most crucial part of a soldier's armor, right? I don't know if any of you are like me and have incredibly sensitive feet. I used to be the kid that could run around barefooted everywhere and walk across glass and it not bug me at all. Now, I can't stand to be on some types of carpet because my feet hurt. So I'm always wearing closed-toed shoes. I'm always taking very good care of my feet, right? Because I understand that if my feet hurt, I can't walk. If I can't walk, I can't get from point A to point B. If I can't get from point A to point B, I can't take care of my family. If I can't take care of my family, then what am I going to do? If I can't walk, I certainly can't go into battle. Think about the Roman soldier, right? If he cut his foot, and they, they had mountains and sharp rocks and all different types of things that they had to endure on their marches, right? If, if that soldier's foot was injured, he was useless. Just like you and me, if, if our feet are injured, we're useless. So that's why 
Paul makes very specific mention of shodding our feet with the gospel of peace. Church, this is the confidence that we can stand on. It's the good news that we are at peace with God. The good news that we are at peace with God. That's the, that is, above all else, the thing we stand on. When we go to battle, we have to know. See, I don't know if you've read this whole book yet. If you haven't, I would highly recommend it. But when you get to the back, you find out the end of the story. And the end of the story is really, really good for us. Because ultimately, we win. We win. This should, guys, come on. I know it's early, and I know sometimes this stuff is hard, but this should make you smile, right? Like, if, if, if nothing else this morning, this should make you smile, that above all else, we win. And that is the good news that we can stand on. It's the only thing we can stand on. When things get hard, when things get tough, when we're at our weakest in and of ourselves, we have to know that there's something we can stand on. Otherwise, there's no reason to stand. We have to be able to stand on that. So after we've girded our loins, and after we've put on the breastplate of righteousness, and after we've shod our feet, we've got to take up our shield. We've got to take up our shield. Verse 16 tells us to take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The shield was the greatest weapon of defense for a Roman soldier. Those on the front line had specifically designed shields that would lock together. They had these spikes behind them so that once they were planted... They would put their foot on the spike, and then that shield was immovable. So then you take that shield, and you put it beside another shield, and then you put it beside another shield, and then you put it beside another shield. I, I don't recommend watching this movie altogether, the movie 300. It's not very appropriate, but it gives a great idea of what this shield was like. There's a, a specific scene in that movie where they actually create almost a fortress with just their shields in a giant circle. And then the guys came over top, and they put their shields over top, and then they were just fighting out the shields, right? It's a great scene. But it helps us to understand this idea that we're fighting with our shields as well. But if I just stand here, Let's, uh, forgive me for the football reference here, okay? The offensive line is the most crucial thing in football. Nobody ever wants to give them the credit they're due, but the offensive line is the most crucial thing on a football team. Without them, that quarterback is nothing. The running back, nothing. Because there is no line of defense for all the attacks that are coming. Now, if... The center was standing there, ready to hike the football, and there was nobody else beside him. Do you think he would have been of any effect? No. Now, 
think of the Roman soldier. If he were to stand there, just a single Roman soldier with his shield ready to go to battle, but nobody else to lock his shield with, was he going to provide any kind of defense? No. So I want to say this, and I'm going to say it very slowly because this is something we don't understand as believers, okay? Our relationship with Jesus is personal in nature, but was never meant to be done alone. I'm going to say it again. Our relationship with Jesus is personal in nature, but was never meant to be done alone. Jesus understood this. Paul understood this. The first church understood this. That's why they always did things together. Now, can you have an effective relationship with Jesus just yourself? Yes. That's why it's personal in nature. Can you be prepared for battle as well as you could be without other people? You're going to be able to stand firm. You're going to be able to defend yourself somewhat. But when it's done together with other believers, we're able to stand firm longer. We're able to stand firm harder. We're able to withstand a lot more damage because we're not in it alone. That's why it's so crucial as believers that we lock arms together. That's why it's so crucial that as believers, we stop fighting with one another. That's why it's so crucial that as believers, we stand firm together. Because in case you didn't know this, or I haven't said it once, Satan's really good at what he does. And he's able to do a lot more damage when you're isolated and alone than when you come up alongside someone. I'm so grateful for that woman sitting right there. For if anything else, she holds me up when I'm my weakest. But I'm very thankful that I don't just have her. But I've got a whole army of guys that want to lock arms with me and ready, are ready to go to battle together. You should be thankful that you've got a pastor that's willing to do that with you. He's willing to go through the hard things for you. He's willing to endure the hard things even harder for you. Lock arms with one another because this battle is hard enough alone. Once we've taken up our, our faith, we've got to put on our helmet. See, our faith is, is what really helps us to be able to extinguish those arrows because the faith is what keeps us going. But our salvation, without our helmet of salvation, we are nothing. A Roman soldier would not get caught even at roll call without his helmet on. He understood how crucial that piece of equipment was for going into battle. And I think too many times as believers, we try to, to fight against Satan with our own willpower instead of our own salvation and the, the assurance of our salvation. I think too many times that we go into battle ill-prepared thinking that we can do it on our own. 
because we've not taken the time to put on our helmet of salvation. Now again, this is not that you can lose your salvation. It's not what he's talking about. This is the assurance of our salvation. This is the, the commitment that we have, the confidence that we have in our salvation. And then the last thing, this is the only offensive weapon that we have to go to battle with. It's the sword. And Paul specifically tells us what the sword is. Look at verse 18, or excuse me, at verse 17. And after we take the helmet, we take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is our only weapon we can fight Satan with. This is the only thing that makes him tremble and run. In fact, we see it so many times. When Jesus was, was personally battling Satan for 40 days in the wilderness, the only ammunition Jesus had was God's word. It was all he needed. Jesus, Jesus could have, very well could have, called down a, a, an army of angels to come and fight for him. Jesus could have done the same thing on the cross. But instead, he used God's own words to go to battle. And that's the only thing that you and I can go to battle with too. So, if, if we're going to go to battle, how important do you think it is that we know this book? How important do you think it is? Because I think too many times we're content to close this thing, put it on our nightstand, and only pick it up on Sunday when we come to church. If a Roman soldier ever only touched his sword when he went into battle, do you think it would have been any use to him? Maybe a little bit. Because what happens to metal over time? It rusts. It gets dull. I don't know if any of you men have ever had a pocket knife that just sat in a drawer forever and then you tried to use it. It's like, like you're better off ripping paper than trying to cut it with a knife. Our sword has to be sharpened daily. It has to be maintained daily. What I'm trying to help you understand is that you've got to read this word daily. You have to take care of this word daily. There's a reason in Scripture that we've been told that this is often a lamp into our feet and a light into our path, as, as the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119. Paul wrote a letter to Timothy in which he said, be prepared. Be prepared in season and out of season, but preach the word. In Romans 10, Paul again writes, faith comes from hearing, but hearing of the word of God. So you and I, and and. Far too many pastors today, and I'm calling them pastors and not preachers for a reason. 
Far too many pastors today will stand up on stage and they will tell you a story and they will rile your emotions. And while that may make you feel good, it does nothing to equip you for battle. But when a man stands up and declares, thus saith the word, you can be prepared. You can go into battle with the confidence to know that your sword is sharp. But we can't just rely on other people to tell us about this book. We have to study it ourselves. Which leads me to our last point in that we have to fight with all that we got. We have to fight with all that we got. Several times in just this short passage, we're told to stand firm. To stand firm doesn't mean to quake. It doesn't mean to shy away. It doesn't mean to be intimidated by. It means to stand firm. Now, if a Roman soldier were gone into battle and he was on the front line and at the first sight of any danger took off and ran back, what use is he? If David would have gone up against Goliath, walked out to that arena, saw him, shook in fear, and took off running, would he have been of any use? No, David resolved to fight with all that he had. And in fact, it's that same illustration that helps us to understand that while we may be severely undermatched in and of ourselves, we have a whole host of armies ready to fight with us. We have someone who has gone before us, someone who is within us, and someone who is coming after us that is our only source of strength. And it's because of that strength we can stand firm. It is because of that strength that we can press on. It is because of that strength that we will win. See, Jesus already holds the keys, church. He's already declared victory. It just hadn't happened yet. So why be afraid? Why not fight with all that you got? Men, I know it's Father's Day, and today should be a good day to relax and to feel good about yourself. You should. You should be joyous that you have been tasked with the opportunity to shepherd not just your wife, because she's your first priority, but also shepherd your children, which have been entrusted to you. They don't belong to you, but they've been entrusted to you. Stand firm and fight for them. Stand firm and fight for them. Man, it's time that we stop shying away from our responsibilities to fight for our families. And I'm not saying that because you're not doing it. It's clear to me that the men in my life fought for me. And I would say the same thing to them. You better believe I fight every day for my family. But I have to remind myself every day to wake up and fight for my family. So I'm telling you this morning to stand up, stand firm, and fight for your family. 
Now, women, this does not absolve you of any responsibility. You too have to stand firm. Wives, you've been specifically designed to be a helpmate for your husband, to lock arms with him, and to stand firm in the trenches with him. Those children are your steward to guide, to lead, to shepherd. You do it together. Not one over the other. You do it together. And we've got to fight with all we got, church. To, to put it this way, you've seen many, many teams, many athletes who get to the end of a race or get to the end of a game and they're just gassed, right? It may appear that they've got nothing left in the tank. But that last hundred meters, that last quarter, they somehow find the will, right? Ross, I know, you, I know you know this, brother, as an athlete. You just find that will. Even when you think it's not there, you somehow find that will. Oftentimes it comes because of the guy standing beside you. And you go to battle together. Church, you've got someone who has gone before you, someone within you, and someone who is coming behind you to fight with you. It's time we stand firm and press on and act like we've already won. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church Podcast. We want to encourage you to like and follow so that we might reach others with God's good news. You can hear more messages like this at www.theriversedge.church. Have a blessed week.